Co-host and friend Joe Cherubino. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so today, Joe has brought a superhero classic, maybe modern classic, modern sure. classic uh, to the table. Um, what are you going to talk about, Joe? Well, folks, I am the hero that our listeners don't deserve, but they definitely need. Today, we're going to talk about the Christopher Nolan film, The Dark Knight. 2008's Dark Knight, the sequel to Batman Begins film, which kind of reinvigorated the Batman franchise and has kept it sort of uh, in, I guess, the goodwill of the movie-going public for the past 10 years since uh, it was such an impactful film. Uh, The first film did really well. It re-kind of established Batman as a serious sort of character with real, like, sort of psychological and, uh, you know, real stakes. This one tried to take is trying to take it to the next level with the Joker, probably the greatest of all the rogues gallery villains that Batman has. Arguably the greatest superhero villain of all time. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Probably the most iconic villain of all time yeah. in comics. Yeah. What I, I have problems with this movie is the reason why I think it's overrated. It's not a bad film, obviously. There's a lot of fans for this film. This movie is the gold standard by which many people put as a superhero film, as bringing the superhero concept into the real here and now into reality, giving it that gritty realism and plausibility of what would Batman actually be like if he really, really existed. But this movie fails on so many ridiculous levels that it goes over the top into science fiction or fantasy and non-existing things. And it relies so much on that because it is a comic book movie. And I don't know, like it just fails in its premise. I think that is its core premise to bring a real superhero movie that batman's not even a superhero he's just like a a caped avenger crusader it's a vigilante he's a vigilante right he's not even a real superhero he has no superpowers other than the fact that he's super rich and intelligent and pretty well built he's extremely physically in good condition the peak of human physical condition i guess you could say anyhow i have a lot of problems with this movie uh we just break it down Weird things that's like cognitive dissonance that I have, or something I guess you could call it that, is there, there was a really strong trailer that came out for this movie that really got people excited about it. And this movie uses a lot of weird alternate takes in the actual film that makes me upset because the alternate takes are clearly weaker and are edited so that they're less effective than the actual hmm. trailers. So, for example, when you f- really see the Joker in the mobster scene where he, like, sticks the pencil in the guy's the, the guy's eye, right? He doesn't want to make a pencil disappear. Yeah. That scene where he goes, here's my card, and he shows the card. It's done so much more funny and clever when he actually shows the Joker card in a wide shot. But in this movie here, it's a different... It's a different delivery when he says it, and they cut to somebody else's reaction shot as he's pulling out the card, and you barely see the card as he, and then he puts it away. Like, you see it for, like, a split second. Hmm. You don't have that moment for that joke. And it was different in the trailer, you're saying? Totally different, completely. Like, in in the movie, he's like, here's my card. And then in the, in the trailer, he's like, here's my card. You know, it's, it's just like little things like that. And he also... We know what's on the card. 
Yeah, I guess, <laughs> but it's like that kind of kills me. They killed the joke by not showing the fucking Joker card. It's upside down in the actual film version. I know it's a playing card, but the Joker figure itself is upside down so it's an alternate take an alternate delivery when he's in the interrogation room they use an alternate line which is super iconic as well from the trailer where he goes you've changed things now you're just a freak like me Hmm. and when he goes like me is terrifying like that voice that he gives but then in the in the movie he's in the entire interrogation scene and it's way more low-key it's like now you're just a freak like me and I'm just like, ah, oh, you fucking ruined those fucking super inc- iconic lines with these weird, like, you know, from the Indiana Jones and Indiana you think Crystal they just Skull. they chose the wrong takes. Oh, absolutely. They okay. chose the wrong takes for all these fucking lines because I guess it just doesn't work as poppy as like a trailer, but the fucking trailer is so strong and it just sticks in your brain. The inflections that are so important in that character and they're so iconic. And it just was really just. You're still getting a lot of that in his performance. Maybe they just wanted to tone sure, it down a little but bit. But it's just, it's like you're toning. It's like, again, like Indiana Jones, the Crystal Skull, where he goes, part-time, and it's like, are you a teacher? He's like, part-time. And you're like, what? So, so that film would have been improved by... <laughs> well, I'm not saying the whole film would have been improved, but that scene and the humor from that scene would have been improved. And we're talking about a movie that's for all time, where people are not going to necessarily see the thing from the trailer. They're going to see what's in the movie, right? Mm. What made the final cut in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that that leads me to question like Christopher Nolan's ear when it comes to dialogue reading. So let's go back to the beginning of the film. And you want to talk about really hokey dialogue readings. The beginning of the film with the Joker's henchmen, Hmm. All of their lines are so ridiculous. I don't know if it's intentional. I don't think so. But like their lines are so schlocky. It's like out of a comic. It's like literally out of, out of a comic. A comic. <laughs> yeah, but the point is that what I'm trying to bring you back to the point is that they're trying to take it off the comic book page and put it into re- hard reality hmm. that you can believe, right? So you've got this situation where it's like the beginning of... I think they're trying to make it more real. No one's going to fool themselves and think that Batman could be a real thing. People do. That's the thing. People <laughs> do believe that they could be Batman. Okay? <laughs> And, you know, again, because he's not a superhero, he doesn't have super powers per se. Everything... Still, like, he does superhuman things in the films, mm, right? Debatable. I think he's be at the peak of human physicality and, f- phys- and intelligence, but it's not impossible. Just that little thing where he disappears all the time is just... Like, it, that's silly. Yeah. I understand. But that's also editing, too, right? So he's not... That's, that's one thing. Batman's the editor in his own films. Yeah, that's that's okay. one thing. Sure. There, but that's not really necessarily supernatural. It's just like the other characters are just not paying attention, sure, right? Okay. Um, and it's exaggerated through that. Anyway, let me get back to the beginning. Where the Joker's henchmen are like, oh, how about this Joker guy? Yeah, he was a real weirdo. Yeah, he, he puts on war, war paint. And then it's like, the guy's like, uh, what the fuck did he say? He goes, um, uh, who, who is this Joker guy? And then when they see the money that they're loading up at the bank, the fucking criminals go, wow, that's a lot of money, <laughs> right? And they say it twice. They yeah. say it twice. They say it's it interesting oh, that they would be having that conversation what the while fuck? they're Why would they the say crime. that? Why yeah. are they, wow, that's a lot of money there. Like, what the fuck? Who the fuck is reading these eight, these line readings, right? <laughs> like, it's clearly shitty actors, like, trying to... It's like, yeah, I hear about this Joker guy. Like, it's, like, like really expository dialogue. And you're setting in this, like, super hyper-realistic setting of this bank robbery that's taken right out of heat. I mean, you literally have William Fickner in the fucking <laughs> bank shooting shotgun shells at people, you know? And, like, it's super realistic. You know, there's no violence or blood, per se, shown, but it's a suggested violence and, and shooting and stuff like that, yeah. right? So it's, like almost on the same level as like a heat type bank heist realism and then that was shot in IMAX right yes that certain sequences such as the beginning yes were shot in IMAX correct and then 
And then the fucking line read where he takes the mask off and he goes, what do you believe in? What do you believe in? Right? And he, and he goes, well, I believe whatever doesn't kill you makes you stranger. <laughs> he should have taken the mask off on the line stranger. Hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. That just doesn't make any sense why he takes the mask off first. There's no dramatic beat there. Yeah, yeah. He should have said, well, I believe whatever doesn't kill you. Mask off. See the terrifying Joker's face. Take a beat. Stranger. Mm-hmm. There's the joke. Nah. There's the fuck. And again, this is why I think that Christopher Nolan really misses the mark with like a lot of really. As much as I admire him as like a, a an incredibly uh, orchestrator of, of special effects and set pieces and 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 camera and and editing and so forth, he really misses a lot of these kind of important human moments that just don't sit right. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? And they take you out of the movie and the realism of the movie, and it's just the dramatics don't work. Like anyhow, so there's a couple weird and wonky line reads throughout the whole movie. Clearly, alternate takes that I just don't think work as well as the ones that they used in the trailer. Oh, also audio-wise, okay, the music of the Batman movie, mm-hmm. these Batman movies. What the fuck happened to great superhero themes, okay? Hans hmm. Zimmer pretty much killed, like, the great symphonic Superman, the original Danny Elfman theme for Batman, all can be very easily hummed, incredibly memorable. Right. Uh, this movie is just like a, kind of like a, a, like a pulse that kind of happens, like a like symphonic pulses that just kind of happen throughout the movie, or flourishes of music that kind of happen. It's not a theme. Right. Why is this happening in superhero movies? And I really point to this movie as one of the landmark films that kind of got rid of that importance of a, of a fucking theme. And I think that's really a shame. Well, I we just haven't think lost that. I mean, the Avengers... You know. Yeah, but it's it's like a little flourish, and that's it. It's not mm. like the whole thing. Like I could literally sing the entire theme to Superman, sure, like yeah. the entire thing, right. right? Like ups and downs for two minutes, yeah. and Batman too. And I just think there's something Doesn't lost Nolan there. Generally, do that in his films though, or like or, or and yeah, I guess Zimmer. It's Tom Zimmer. Like, I think is guilty mostly yeah. for this, right? It's more like uh, atmospheric. Yeah. Music, right? Instead of yeah, particular themes for specific characters. Yeah. yeah. I anyhow. So that's just a great. I'm okay with that. I'm just. I just have I'm a gripe okay with that. that. Okay, fair enough. I mean, it, it works. It has dramatic beats that really work, but it's just overall. Also, another thing. Another thing with the fucking alternate takes. You know that fucking iconic scene where the Joker's walking towards Batman and he's on the bat pod and he's about to like you know run into him on the bat pod after the the, the whole truck flips the truck over flips and up, he's yeah, got yeah. the knife in his hand and he like tosses the knife into the other hand. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Do you remember? That's no, in the trailer. Okay. There's an amazing scene where the fucking Joker's walking towards the camera, walking right. towards Batman, and he's just like nonchalantly I, just taking one of his blades, mm. tosses it, doesn't even look at where it's falling on the other hand, just grabs it without looking at it, right? That's in the trailer? That's in the trailer. Okay, see, I don't remember. Does not, exactly, because yeah. it's not in the fucking movie. It's he just has the gun in the, in the movie. That's yeah. right. He just has the gun in the movie. But after he smashes his, his bat pod or whatever mm-hmm. it is, then the Joker comes out with, uh, with a knife after he, like, you know, sh- shoots Kind of like a him. bat cycle. Well, that's what the bat pod is called in this series in this universe is okay. called the bat pod the is bat it? pod yeah why is There's it called the, the bat pod i don't know why is the fucking batmobile called the tumbler i don't know that's just what they're fucking calling it now man <laughs> it's a pod that comes out of the tumbler i guess okay, sure, it's yeah. a pod right. a part of it. it's an escape pod of yeah, some yeah. sort okay which also <laughs> is ridiculous technology there's so much ridiculous technology that doesn't exist in this movie like the fucking skyhook technology mm. would snap him and Lau's neck when he's extricating <laughs> Lau out of that fucking building they would break their fucking backs out of that thing a fucking airplane going like 600 miles per hour yeah. come on like i would also cause an uh, international like incident sure of China, course, China? Like... Jesus Christ <laughs> yeah again there's so many ridiculous things in it that make no sense um, 
the ballistics were sort of recreation. Like, I like the fact that Batman's being a detective because he's supposed to be the world's greatest detective. I like that concept that he's doing forensic shit and, mm-hmm. like, fucking CSIing. But the fucking stuff that he's doing, the technology is like you might as well have just plugged it into the fucking Adam West Bat computer for the Bat Analyzer to take a look at. <laughs> it's that much ridiculous technology, and the whole thing of the sonar with the phones and the sonar information, like thematically works because he's a bat and he uses sonar to detect shit, right? Right, right. But it doesn't make any sense. Like, like when at the very end of the movie, when the people are held hostage in yeah. the, the t- apartments, they have their cell phones on them, I guess, and that's how they're getting that sonar information. Yeah, that I makes think so. no fucking sense whatsoever how they're getting all this information everyone how you can pinpoint and locate this whole like grid system now again it's like a reference of like a post 9-11 surveillance technology should we use it for good or what can be used for evil and all this crazy shit but it just doesn't make any sense it's stupid fantasy it's stupid childish fantasy that has no place in the real world you know what i'm saying so aren't they using the same technology at the beginning of the film when they get to is it lao is that his name? Yeah. Uh, when they when they get Lao in China, yes, isn't Lucius Fox using the same technology that he does at the end of the film with yes. the sonar stuff? But he yeah. has an ethical problem with it later on in the film. Well, because it's used as mass like surveillance for the for unknowing public. I sure, guess. Sure, but it's still wrong either way. Sure, if you're going to have an ethical issue with it. <laughs> well, it's weird though. Like if you record a conversation, no, at least most one party in a conversation needs to know that they're being recorded. But that's about it. So how is that different from like, like legally? Me, you mean legally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, like if you had like a thing that recorded you video. Right, of mm-hmm. or a sonar video of you, right? What's the yeah. difference between me having a little tape recorder doing that? There's, I don't know. Huh. I mean, on a mass scale like that, that, that's a different thing because, again, it could be used for such incredible, powerful manipulation of people and, and you know, invasion of privacy and stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? I don't know, man. Like, it, it's pretty unethical, both of them, sure, but I think that it really gets to another scale. Um, and, and just another thing that just kills me about this movie is the Joker's conceit is that he is an agent of chaos. He claims to be an agent of chaos, that he's like a dog chasing after a car. He doesn't know what would he do if he got it. He just has these goals that he just wants to cause mayhem. He's the fucking, he's the bandit with the, the, the fucking rubies throwing him away. Just to, He's the man who just wants to watch the world burn. Anarchy. And yeah. anarchy. But, and he says, I, I, I don't have any plans. I'm not a schemer. I have no plans. Yes, you do. You have very clear, definite, concrete, elaborate plans for destroying everybody's lives, that which seem to come out of nowhere. Like, he seems to be able to cook up all these incredibly elaborate plans on the fly. Like, how was he supposed to know that Harvey Dent was just going to get half his face going to fucking burn off and not completely get blown up? Like, how Wait, was but he gonna- what suggests that he did know that that would happen? Well, it suggests that he would know because that's like his master plan to fucking destroy Harvey Dent and make him fall from grace yes, and destroy nothing, his character. Right, but nothing but about that But if he just has... killed Harvey Dent, if he just killed Harvey Dent, right. then his whole plan would be fucking nothing. Yeah, but he didn't so, know specifically that half his face would be burned. That was Okay, sure, but but he wanted to disgrace him in some way. That was sure, his yeah. ultimate plan, right? Yeah. To And that was how he got in. That was his edge to, because his mind had been destroyed as well because yeah. it's deranged. Because everybody who gets facially, dis, like, facially scarred basically goes insane. That's how it works in movie yeah. world. Yeah. Also in Batman world, if you're a woman and you find out who the fuck Batman is, you're dead, by the way. <laughs> Just to let you know. That's a fucking death sentence in the Batman world, just to let you know. Guys, you know, Lucius Fox, he can fucking know who the fuck Batman is, and eventually Gordon and Alfred and all those people close to him. But as soon as a woman finds out, she's toast. She's out. Which is a shame, because Maggie Gyllenhaal was really great in that role of of, of um, Rachel. Um, one thing, again, another weird fucking thing is, so Rachel 
gets tossed off of a skyscraper penthouse apartment building. She gets grabbed by Batman on the way down. Mm-hmm. And they land on a fucking car. Both of them completely fine. <laughs> Both of them completely... But Harvey Dent, he falls maybe two fucking stories off of a side of the building at the very end of the factory building that got blown up. Right, right. And he breaks his neck and dies immediately. <laughs> what? Well, it's possible. <laughs> what? Huh? Bat- Batman had slowed it's, their fall, right? Yeah, but it's not like he shot like a batter. Like, it's not like he shot a fucking bat... Um, uh, what's it called? Uh... Uh, you know, like a harpoon or anything like that, mm. right? With the fucking bat gun or whatever. He just kind of like just cradled her as they fell together. Did he use nothing to... No. He didn't use any kind he of just kinda like He just kind of curls up around her. Okay, so... Okay, I don't know. It's Maybe fucked like... up. <laughs> She's totally unscathed. Maybe he was able to reduce... Not a scratch on uh, either of them. Or induce like wind resistance or I something. I don't think... Who knows? 30 stories? <laughs> <laughs> She's already fallen like 20 of those 30 stories, by the way. She's got like terminal velocity, 100%. Sure, sure, yeah. Like, <laughs> and then Harvey Dent just like slips off the fucking, uh, the, the side of the building and then just like so falls two There's stories. A, a superhuman feat. Yeah, but that's silly. You know what I mean? Like, that's just <laughs> dumb. Again, it's not realistic. It's just it's just convenient for the story. Another thing that really unnerves me about this film, I don't know if this has sh- uh, struck you, when they're talking to the mayor of, the, of Gotham, hmm. there's a really strange actor they cast for this uh, role. He's got really, really unnerving and distracting eyes. His eyes look like they have eyeliner on them. Okay. He's got really, really remember super yeah. thick fucking eyelashes. And hmm. I was like, what? Why is he wearing eyes? Distracting, eye- pretty eyes. Distracting, eyelashes. extremely <laughs> long, luscious, thick. It, like, it's the guy's Italian. His name is uh, fucking uh, Nestor Carbonell. Okay, this guy's got to be Italian. He's got thick eyebrows, kind of an olive skin. The fucking mayor of Gotham has got these the piercing, weird, just very effeminate looking. <laughs> Very, very thick eye, eye, eyelashes. So you thought it, he should have been more nondescript. Yeah, it was just really like they're trying to talk about like the terrorism in the city and plots of like murder and assassination and shit. I'm just like, I'm just getting lost in the mayor's eyes. I'm just getting lost in those beautiful luscious eyelashes. Anyhow, it's, it's just a, a, just a point I just wanted to make. It doesn't make the movie bad. Um, I just wanted to know if anybody out there also knows noticed this weird thing. Um, Okay, another gr- a terrible line reading as well, just from another bit shitty actor. So many great actors in this movie, like Gary Oldman and obviously uh, uh, Christian Bale and Heath Ledger, but all the secondary characters, all those sort of supporting secondary, or not, third tertiary characters that support are terrible. Like, there's the SWAT team uh, guy he's riding with Gordon. He doesn't know it's Commissioner Gordon who's driving the SWAT truck. Mm. And he's like, well, I hope you're a good driver. And then he, and then when the, the fucking helicopter crashes, first he goes, whoa, that's not good. And then the, co- the helicopter crashes into the, like, the building or whatever. And he goes, that's really not good. <laughs> or so, like, 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 that's the most inarticulate, stupid thing you could possibly say. Yeah. I, I know, like you said, they're going for more of like a, a realistic feel in the film, but lines like that do feel like they're just like comic book lines. That's so and, stupid. No, he, go, he doesn't even say that's really not good. He goes, that's not good. And he goes, that's not good. <laughs> like, what? You just repeated the same line twice. What is happening here? Also, another really weird line that gets repeated twice. I don't know. This is like bad screenwriting 101 is um, the line played that one close to the chest. Bat, uh, Bruce Wayne says that to Lucius when he's talking about the whole surveillance thing or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And then um, I believe um, Harvey Dent says that to 
uh, uh, Commissioner Gordon after he finds out that Commissioner Gordon's alive. And he goes, yeah, he played that one real close to the chest. I was like, that's a weird phrase to be used twice in the same movie. I don't hmm. know. Maybe they're trying to show some parallels between... You really think it's intentional? It just seems like a know. weird screenwriting mistake. That like like yeah. like it just there's there's no there's no real like there's it's not like the same character like saying it back to each other. They didn't pick up on it that oh we've used this line twice now. <laughs> it would work if it was the same character repeating it like as a throwback line right, right to the right. same character yeah, saying yeah. oh that's what I call playing it close to the chest or something. Like that. Mm. But these are two different characters interacting in a totally different situation. It's just very strange, right. you know. Christopher Nolan and his brother wrote this, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. was it Jonathan Nolan? I, I believe think it's it is. Jonathan, yeah, yeah, Jonathan Nolan. Anyhow, so uh, I gotta say, like, there's some amazing moments in this movie. Um, you know, when the fucking Joker breaks out and he's fucking driving and the fucking cop car with his head out the window. Listen, but yeah, the weird thing great. about that is, though, if you really look at the scene, he's in the back seat of the cop car. Yeah, someone else is driving it. Who the fuck's driving the car? <laughs> One of his goons. <laughs> what? Where'd that come from? <laughs> And the, drive, the goon is driving like a maniac because if you actually see the, where the car yeah, is it's moving, around it's like swerving yeah. like crazy. <laughs> so I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I just thought like, what, huh? Like at first I was like, oh, he's just sticking his head out like a crazy dog, you know, out of the side of a window and he's like free and he's like exact, like just exhilarated, right? Yeah. But I'm like, he's in the back seat. That's very strange. <laughs> <laughs> it's very strange. It makes no sense. And also just one thing about that uh, police scene with the interrogation thing that happens. Like, that fucking fat guy that comes into the cell with the bombs in his body is so unbelievable. With the bone in his stomach? Like, no human being, no matter how fat you are, you're not going to be fucking walking around or even breathing if there's a bomb and a cell phone and all kinds of shit inside your body. <laughs> it's so... And then and the line reading, again, these terrible, terrible, like, bit actors, these, these like, extras that they give lines to are terrible. He's like, Joker put the... He said he'd take the pain away and put the magic lights in my body. I'm like, what? <laughs> the fuck who the fuck talks like that these are obviously like insane people i know and like you know he uses which is really yeah it seems like he's just recruiting whoever but, right? but his plans are so competently executed <laughs> they can't be executed by like schizophrenic people <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense it's either using wacko crazy people who have no sense of reality mm-hmm. or you're using like mobsters who are paid off that are like professional criminals Sure, yeah. I guess it's maybe a combination of both, but it's just never clear <laughs> who the fuck is joining the Joker on all this shit. Is really weird. And again, the whole thing about the, the cell phone exploding and everything, it was like so fucking weird that like, how did he plan for him to be out of that fucking cell when the cell phone explodes and doing the cell phone call? Like, yeah, like, there were some amazing so many, bits of timing for like, sure. Like, how was, he, how was he gonna know that the one guy that was gonna watch him in the room, that he could be, you know, be able to get under his skin and, like, and take control. And get contr- the cell phone in time to make the call. Yeah. And, like, get control of that guy. And it's so weird. Anyhow, so, anyhow. But one thing I do love the scene is, is uh, the hospital scene where the where he walks out and it's just all in real time exploding in, in pieces and he like jiggles the detonator and explodes <laughs> some more. That's an incredible scene. You know, it's one of the greatest set pieces of all time, one of the greatest pieces of pyrotechnic movie magic of all time. But the the bit where the Joker walks into the, the hospital oh, yeah. room before that. Yeah, the, before the other conversation. <laughs> Harvey Dent doesn't recognize him until he pulls his mask nope, down. not at all. <laughs> He's got white face paint all over his face. He's got black bleeding mascara all over him. But until the mask comes completely off, then <laughs> he like, when you get the freaks out. Shot. He's like, Whoa, oh, fuck, I'm going to kill this guy. Like, it makes no sense. The, the, the makeup effects on Harvey Dent. 
you like them? amazing. I like you like them? them? I like them. I think yeah. they're a little a little too extreme. <laughs> I think they're pretty gory. I mean, like I like the In fact that way. it's yeah, but it's like you'd be bleeding constantly yeah, out of your yeah, face. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and your eyeball was that exposed? You it would, would be in constant pain as well. Your your eyeball would literally dry up in like two or three yeah, minutes. Yeah, because I was looking for that. You can't blink, right? Yeah, so <laughs> you wouldn't be basically blind in that eye. They should have like left him an eyelid so that he could blink. Yeah, I don't know. It's really weird. <laughs> and it, it, at times it looks good, but at times it's like the, you see the sinew and the, 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 the muscle and stuff, and it's like, why isn't Harvey Dent talking with like an incredible lisp? Like, because like, he's only got <laughs> half a mouth, you know? It's just a lot of little touches like that. Like Christian Bale's front lisp. Oh, can we talk about the, the Batman like this? Yes, that's right, Gordon. <laughs> it's not like that. That's, that's right. Yes. <laughs> This city needs a better he has, class of he has, hero. He has a very subtle, not like that. It's his. It's, it's his a, lower it's a lip. Subtle front lip. Yeah, it's his lower yeah, lip. It's not that, a side lip. It's his lower lip that curls in front of his teeth, and it gives him a kind of a, especially when he, he does kind of, the Batman he purses, voice. He purses his lips yeah. like that. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's it was especially pronounced when he does the Batman voice. It makes it <laughs> that much more comical and stupid sounding. <laughs> Which I understand. You know what? They did a good job. They did a good job with Ben Affleck's. Uh, Batman in uh, Batman vs Superman that he's got like a voice changer kind of module on his neck that makes him sound like okay. distorted and kind of digital. Right, right, right. So that actually kind of really worked. That's hmm. one of the very few things that worked that in that would movie. Be cooler than yeah. putting on a voice. Yeah, then yeah. I'm a Batman voice. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so my parents are dead. <laughs> okay, so let's let's get. I know many people who've lost parents early in their lives through also traumatic moments mm-hmm. and. Really, Batman? I mean, is this really going to spur a child? I mean, like, oh, I uh, forgot. We, you're not a fan of the Batman mythology. Not really. I'm a Marvel guy. I'm a hero. I'm a Marvel guy. And, you know, sure, mm. there's tragedy that happens to Spider Man. Spider Man, his Uncle Ben dies, and he realizes that he's got to change his life. But he doesn't become a morose, moody piece of shit like Batman does, who can't have a single fucking human relationship with anyone. Right. You know? I just think that it's just a little too extreme. And, and that was a that was a lesson for Spider-Man, but I think he may have still become Spider-Man even without that incident in his life. You think so? Maybe. Yeah, I, I think so. Cuz he's a good you, a good person. He is a good person. Yeah. That's true. He is a good person. But yeah, I mean like I don't know. Like it's just such a like a ridiculous like incentive for him to just have this crazy mission to d- eradicate all crime or die trying to do so, hmm. which I think is really again they, these movies try to address. It's a pretty that. good motivator. I mean, your parents being murdered in front of you. That's. But it's not even like an intentional murder. It's an accidental murder, really. When you think about it, it's not like hmm. a first. You know, this is not murder in the first degree. This is not like this guy set out to murder his no, two parents. No, second degree for sure. It was yeah. So it's not even that crazy and vindictive and like with that, with that much malice, you know. It was just like an unfortunate circumstance that happened around crime. But that almost makes it worse that you know these that people's a, lives weren't even worth you know worth anything to this. That was just a casualty person of just, who murdered them. I guess, but I don't know. Like it's just it's just weird. It's also just weird seeing Batman taking on like real things like the mob. You know, like the actual organized crime, like real mobsters, you know? Mm. It's always kind of like, oh, he's fighting, you know... Eric Roberts? <laughs> yeah, like Eric Roberts, who was Julia Roberts' brother. I never realized that. Really? That's so weird. <laughs> you That's didn't so know weird. that. I didn't know that. I know it. What's, what else is Eric Roberts in? I don't know. Uh, I don't know, but I've seen him in a lot of films. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I, that was that was a that was a bit of a yeah. I had no idea that there was that connection. So you have problems with the say the the scenes that they cho- chose to cap the takes that they chose to keep in the film. Not just that, but the real crux of it again is like the, there's there's an intent. This movie is bases it wins or it wins or 
loses on the basis of its original premises, bringing the concept of a superhero movie, of a comic book movie, that's completely ridiculous and impossible into the real world. Into what if Gotham was a real place? What if Batman was a real person? What if the Joker was a real person? What would they do in real real life? You know what I mean? Not mm-hmm. ridiculous, over-the-top, silly fantasy scenarios. But we get that. Like we the Avengers. That. Well, the Avengers is great because it <laughs> embraces that, the ridiculous and the world-ending scenarios and the ridiculous powers and all right, that right. stuff. So you're saying it's not possible to bring... No, it is possible. It is possible to bring because I have another film, which I've recommended, (laughs) that I think does it way better. Well, okay. We can talk about that when it it gets to that point. Sure. But, okay, so you have – those are your problems with the film. But what about um, getting back to the writing? It seems like they're trying to insert politics into – the film as well uh, or maybe ethical questions mm-hmm. that and i think it's kind of muddy the way they try and answer those questions sure with the whole thing of him being like the dark knight and like doing things like the noble lie of like setting up harvey dent as like right the yeah. scion of goodness but I it's guess, actually yeah, based on a corrupt man and harvey dent and commissioner gordon represent representing like different ideals or of goodness mm-hmm. right um, Batman being the vigilante, just doing thing on, things on his own terms. Mm-hmm. But Gordon still working, playing more by the book. Gordon playing by the book. Harvey Dent even, like, yeah. in the beginning, playing by the book, like mm-hmm. rule of law kind of person. Um, and then the Joker, you know, representing anarchy and chaos. Um, it seems like... Or just corruption. With the, just, with, I think he represents corruption. Cor- sure. Corruption of the soul. The, because the he's trying. Yeah, because he's trying to corrupt the souls of, like, again, the people that are around him, the people that are, are, are corrupted, like the police that are corrupt. Yeah, he yeah. uses them. He uses. He tries to manipulate the people on the ferry into being corrupt and being selfish. Mm-hmm. That whole thing is so ridiculous. Which he actually kind of succeeds in doing, but the film doesn't seem to indicate that that's that that was the case. In a way, um, because he does. The, the people who the non-prisoner boat, mm-hmm. they wanted to kill the prisoners, right? They just didn't did... want to flip the switch. Sure, but there's well, this moment where the guy he's given the switch and he can't he go through do with it. it, right? But they voted so, to do it. Sure, <laughs> right? Well, there's that, that's like the Holocaust, right? It's like like does, people doesn't in the Joker, mass. Doesn't the Joker deliver a line where he says like people want this, but they just don't want? to do the dirty work basically yeah sure i guess so yeah, yeah. which well, is that's, true that's true yeah yeah well that's how the holocaust happened right i mean like or like you know when you but diversify the film, like the guilt doesn't the film kind of present it as because neither of the boats were, were destroyed that the joker was wrong in the end yeah to a degree yes hmm. morally i guess so but what Maybe do you mean I politically have, I though thought this through um, because they're, but they're, but he does kind of win at the end. Like his ultimate goal, like he says, "Oh, my my ace up the sleeve there, right to destroy society is Harvey Dent." Right. Yeah. And he does corrupt Harvey Dent completely. Right. Maybe and, the polit like the the political message isn't as strong in this film as it is in the third film, mm-hmm. The Dark Knight Rises. What What America needs is a strong man, a leader, a strong <laughs> leader. Alan, we right. need we need a Batman to lead us through this, these dark times. But maybe like the films are just building towards this, like mm. to the third film, and where it seemed to me mm-hmm. that the political messaging was like really strong. Well, I think ultimately, again, because it's so ludicrous for a concept of one man to fight all of crime and to eradicate all of crime, mm-hmm. it behooves society to take up the Batman's mantle and everyone be a Batman. Right, I think okay. that's ultimately where these mor- the moralistic sort of tale is that Batman can retire like he does in the third so movie. So everyone take the law so, into their own hands. <laughs> sure. <laughs> 
Oh, just be that, a good that would person. for a good society, I guess. <laughs> sure, <laughs> like have Bane society, basically. <laughs> Everybody just just martial law. Um, but I think well, the whole, again, but it's like you know, be be the hero down. Like as you know, he says in the third film, he goes, it's just even if it's just like comforting a a, a child with and telling him he's going to be okay, putting hmm. his jacket on, like that's just showing compassion to people. Just doing some good. In doing the world. some good in the yeah. world is will have a compounding factor in all these little events mm-hmm. that will make the world better. And you don't need Batman at that point when we get to that sec- that society. Mm-hmm. Which I think is very noble. Um, but again, then we won't have Batman. <laughs> so <laughs> it kind of is like, yeah, it's kind of a self-defeating purpose. So I don't know. Like, I think Batman's pretty, you know, I think Batman's cool and all, but we're, we're living in a really fucked up world where I guess it's because DC uh, and Warner Brothers, that's the only property that they have that really makes any money. I mean, this movie was the first comic book movie to ever make a billion dollars. Yeah, these films are the only DC films I can think of that are good. Uh, I, what, what else is good what was, in um, the DC universe? Oh, Jesus. That Am was I not thinking one. of something? Yeah, there was one that, that was a lot of fun. Um, not uh, Suicide Squad, that's for no. sure. Garbage. Yeah. but um, The no. Superman films have been garbage. Yeah, um, they've been really strange. But the, I mean, This Aquaman film looks like... I have any. I don't, don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Who cares about Aquaman? Nobody like... cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> but that, that's the thing, though. Is like because this movie has engendered so much goodwill and has such a following. Batman has such a strong following. Mm-hmm. They're just constantly like milking and just beating, just squeezing the bruised teats of you know <laughs> Batman <laughs> to get every ounce of goodness out of it and profitability. Hmm. And because that's the only property that they can really have. I guess, like you said, he seems like an accessible superhero, right? Yeah, because like, like he's possible. Yes, exactly. He's in the realm of human possibility. So, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I just there's again the character is so flat to begin with. You know, that's why these these Marvel movies make more sense to me because they're so much more rich and human and flawed, and they're not overpowered like superman's overpowered you know like Hmm. they're not super gods like the the fucking the dc universe is like the greek pantheon of gods basically Hmm. right you've got poseidon you've got fucking zeus you got you know well in marvel you literally have thor sure but he's a lesser (laughs) god in the world of marvel he's not a god god you know what i'm saying he seems pretty powerful (laughs) he's pretty powerful but his hammer gets destroyed and you know he gets all fucked up and he's a fucking stupid character a lot of times he's a dumb character which is funny but um that's what i'm saying like like they're just too overpowered and they're just not approachable and that's why it's hard to make a superman movie because he's just He's a god. He can do anything. He can go back in time and fucking shoot lasers out of his eyes and fly. Like, there's <laughs> nothing he can't do, you know? How do you make that approachable as a human, you know what I mean? And so, the people around him, right? That, well, yeah. sure. And you got the you have to have great villains, and that helps, for sure. You got Lex Luthor and, and the Mastermind. And the people he loves and, and cares for. Sure, are, and that too. Who are vulnerable. Sure. Yeah. But as a character themselves, the, 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 the actual, you know, center point of the film, or the center point of the, of the character... It has to be, I don't know, I think it has to be relatable, but that's just me. Anyhow, so let's get on to another film, which I, uh, well, you should probably. Yeah, why don't I throw it to you, John? Sorry. Like, throw it to yourself? <laughs> I don't know, I just want to get, stop talking about Batman, okay? Everybody's talking about Batman, everybody fucking Ooh, wants no to be Batman. no one's talking about Batman anymore. Everybody wants to be fucking Batman. Batman's not really in the. Yes, it is definitely in the cultural. Public psyche right now. It is definitely in the public psyche. It's not in the zeitgeist. Uh, yes, it is. It certainly is. <laughs> right now? You ask anybody, you ask anybody on the street who the fuck Batman on is, the they don't know. <laughs> well, of anybody course the they do, but I'm saying, like, right now, 
in this moment, mm-hmm. that's the zeitgeist. People aren't really that's talking about Batman because there's no new Batman film. There or, will be eventually. Yeah, you think they're gonna like reboot it again? They have to. They have to. <laughs> they have yeah. to. That's they're gonna reboot the whole fucking DC universe apparently. But okay, just one thing I wanted to touch on before we go on to the next. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker. It's the best Joker. By far, that mm-hmm. I've I've seen Caesar Romero guy. No, that's, Caesar Romero. That's a fun. He was so committed that's to that definitely role. Definitely a shave fun his mustache. Joker. He wouldn't save his, shave his mustache. He was so committed. To he that was role. definitely a fun, like over the top <laughs> Joker, um, mm-hmm. in like a comic book mm-hmm. version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is to me what the Joker should represent—just like chaos, anarchy. You know, really, I don't, yeah. I don't know. The Joker I, I, represents I so great. many different things. It represents irony. He represents like a, a, a sadness well, he in the irony. human like condition. Humor. He's still yeah, humor but he doesn't necessarily funny. represent chaos. Like he is manic and insane. He certainly represents chaos. <laughs> not all, not all the time. Like, no, he, no, not certain, all the time. And again, chaos has no. But if you don't represent chaos all the time, then you're still. But again, chaos, representing chaos, chaos is random, right? Chaos is random, but <laughs> he's right. not random. He's so not. A, if you were representing, you. if you're constantly being chaotic, you wouldn't be chaotic. <laughs> I'm trying to understand what you just said there, but it's very difficult. If you're trying to be chaotic, it's not chaotic. If you're, no, if you're constantly chaotic, mm-hmm. you wouldn't actually be chaotic. I don't understand that. Right? I don't know what that means. <laughs> if you're trying to be chaotic all uh-huh. the time, you're yeah. doing you're doing if there's chaotic an things. If there's, right? an if there's an intentionality to your chaos, right. then you're not actually being chaotic. That's why right? the Joker's not chaotic then. <laughs> but he is. He's kind no, of going back not. and forth. He's doing things that make sense and then things that don't well, make sense. I think sense. it's just like poor screenwriting. Like mountains the... of money. Yeah. <laughs> With a person on top of it, by the way. It was loud. That was at the top of that pyre, by the way. It didn't show that. This is so weird. They do some weird stuff with the violence. Like, you know, when uh, he's uh, he's got the knife in, um, what's his name's face? Oh, man. He plays Maggie Gamble. No, Gimble, the the mobster who's uh, Michael Jai White. Oh right, right. Okay. Who played Spawn? Yeah. Uh, he's got his <laughs> fucking knife in his face. the The violence in that scene is so neutered and so uh, censored. Hmm. You don't actually know what the fuck the Joker did to him. You assume that he cut his face open. Did he, or did he stab him in the head, or what? Well, like, we don't know, but he killed him for sure. Yeah, he's dead yeah. clearly, but like, there's no blood. There's no like. I assume he put he put the knife inside his mouth, right? Okay, but you don't die from a mouth wound. No, no, but who knows? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> he stabbed him like through the to throat. the skull. I don't know. <laughs> so again, like that's what I'm saying. Like the movie, you probably of, hear some gargling or something. <laughs> but that's the thing is, like the movie tries to be like gritty and realistic and violent, but you still have that PG-13 censorship that actually makes Was it the a PG violence. Yeah, I, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, it's not an R-rated film, that's for sure. Hmm. Uh, so you still have is that, that the only is it does it go from PG to R? Yeah, uh, it no, sorry, in, I don't even pay attention. To it, in, it goes like in the, in America, it goes from PG thirteen, I believe, to R. Okay, which is like our version of of PG thirteen, I believe, or something like that. Okay, it, or or, or and, adult accompaniment, I think it was. Anyhow, so and R, you can't R go is, unless you're accompanied by an adult. Is that's that correct. Okay. Yes, right. and then NC seventeen is no one admitted until you're seventeen years old, regardless if you have a parent okay. or anything like that's NC seventeen is like basically fucking porno that's where you like, start to see like, boobies you start well yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm saying like but like the violence is so neutered it actually becomes unintelligible as like a what the fuck actually happened you hmm. know what i'm saying like you you just see like things happening in the background people struggling mm-hmm. but then you don't see them actually dying you just hear like a gunshot noise yeah or i something. bet a lot of people would have died like just citizens on the street would have died in this film you know what i'm sure. saying yeah so yeah. it's just very strange so it doesn't really yeah it doesn't represent batman's um 
I guess, negligence or irresponsibility in that regard mm-hmm. because he's like crashing through things in his tumbler, sure. right? And oh, yeah. Uh, shooting off like, so much collateral on the damage. street and stuff, for sure. People Which the died. Avengers deals with, by the way, as, as ridiculous. By saying, oh, let's clear out lower Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> as if that would happen. No, no, no. But they, they, they're, you haven't seen the rest of the Avengers films, I guess, if you don't know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of fallout that happens from what happens in New York City oh, and right, all yeah, the yeah, stuff, yeah. right? So yeah. basically but then they, they, have they to... do try and make up for that because they don't want to be like the, uh, the Superman film. You know, sure. Where, they, where Iron Man says, okay, let's clear out lower Manhattan from this street on. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, come on, that's not realistic. Well, they're trying. They're trying to work with there the There would cops. definitely be people in that section of the city who sure, would say, fuck you, killed. Iron Man, I'm not going anywhere. Well, well you, you can say that. You'll be that, you'll be that person to tell, tell Iron Man to I wouldn't off. be that person, but I'm saying people would still die. Would but they're trying, to, they're trying to set it up as if you a know, man si- regular citizens aren't In dying. a flying, shining armor suit and says, you better get out of here because there's shit's going to go down. You're going to be like, no, I, you know, I'm going to watch the rest of this episode I, of I Friends. I would. I'm watching yes. this, the rest of this rerun of Friends. <laughs> I need to see what happens to Ross and Rachel. No, you're getting the fuck out of Dodge. I would, yes. Okay. But imagine how many people in New York wouldn't. (laughs) They're New Yorkers like, nah, (laughs) fuck you, Iron Man. Anyhow. So, Joe. Yes. Let's uh, stop talking about this film. Please, God, let's stop talking about Batman. People as a a society, can we stop talking about Batman? (laughs) Fuck. Um, and uh, we'll move on to the next film. So what what are you recommending over The Dark Knight? Yes, as a replacement film, see, again, this premise that what if a superhero existed in the real world? That had already been done. Batman is not a superhero. Okay, fine. But what if a comic book character... Okay. Okay, what if a comic book character (laughs) existed in the real world? Okay. And with real world circumstances and situations? Well, that movie was done eight years before... Okay, by a somewhat notorious, nefarious director at the time, one of the great golden boys nefarious. of Hollywood. Well, now I think he's somewhat of a dubious name. He has. I think mixed, he's made a bit mixed, of a comeback. He has made a bit of a comeback, but it's it's a checkered uh, checkered uh, career for M Night Shyamalan, <laughs> is who I'm referring to, and his second major film. Or his follow-up, I guess you could say, to The Sixth Sense, which was Unbreakable. And uh, this is a pre-9-11 film. So you could have stuff like terrorism and fucking all kinds of shit, bad stuff happening, and not have to worry about anything well, like that. Well, you still can. It just depends on who you blame it on. I guess. Yeah, true. <laughs> I guess so. Um, so this great cast as well, but a very tight, small cast, as opposed to like a like who's who type thing in like, you know, the Batman movies, right? You've got Bruce Willis as the main character is David Dunn, Samuel Jackson playing Elijah Price, Mr. Glass. You've got Robin Wright as his wife, and uh really, really cute, like not precocious, but like just really I think very uh, just a great child actor in uh Spencer Treat Clark, who plays Bruce Willis's son. Yeah, he's pretty good. I think he's very engaging, and he's not super cute. He's got, like, a big moppy hair, you know? He's kind of like those kind of moppy kids, you know? He's like, oh, dopey little cute kid. But he's got, like, a real sensitivity to his facial expressions and his eyes that are just really engaging, and I think really sell it, especially the family scenes that he's in. And the whole premise in the movie is obviously a superhero movie, but based in reality. And what if the superhero didn't know he had superpowers? How would he, how would he find that out? Or how would he discover his place as a superhero? And I think there's some really interesting, approachable, relatable human characteristics to the journey that Bruce Willis's character goes through. The movie is about not knowing who you are and what you're meant to do. 
and knowing that what you're doing in life, you're just kind of wasting time and you're not really finding the real meaningful things to do in your life, a purpose in your life. I think a lot of people relate to that. For sure. I certainly do. Yeah. Okay? And you're meant for something. Okay, well, you've achieved full realization in your life. A man can do. That's good. That's good to know. You are (laughs) fully realized in every aspect of your life. I'm glad for you. God bless you. Thank you. Much like Superman, (laughs) you have no problems except for kryptonite. But my point is, yeah, like that's a really human and and the fucking human drama, the family core drama of this movie is so moving and interesting. And beautifully well acted, and subtly well acted. So now, people claim Bruce Willis is Bruce Willis, like you know, uh, yeah, he's not but a he's great used actor. well. Okay, listen, let me give you a caveat. Okay, Bruce Willis is a very, very low key, low energy actor in almost everything he does. In everything, nearly everything he does, <laughs> unless he's screaming "Yippee ki yay, motherfucker!" Right. He's pretty low key for most of the stuff. He's got the sad eyes. He's very quiet, reserved in most movies. He's got the whispery voice. I don't think he does the horse eye in this movie. You know what I'm talking about the horse eye, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. When you're looking at down the barrel of the no. gun. Because he doesn't pick he up the gun. He has no reason to do the horse yeah, eye. Yeah, but he film. should. He really should in every movie <laughs> do the horse eye. But anyhow, regardless of that, his performance in this film is perfectly used because he is so distant and remote. And so dis- just... Uh, it's so He's so like lost. Yeah, it works. It here. really, really yeah. works in this character. You know the the quiet, whispery voice that he has, the 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 the, the desperation, the quiet desperation that he lives day to day. There's so many amazing little beats that are, and again, the power of cinema. People should never underestimate the power of cinema to get the close up and the details of how human beings, their tics, their facial reactions are so subtle and yet can convey so much information. And the cinema is so conducive for showing that to people, right? Because mm. you've got a face. That you know you would be able to ordinarily read if just looking at someone at their normal size, but then you got a face that's blown up fifty feet high or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So you can see every single micro emotion going mm-hmm. on in a person's face. So when a subtle you have a subtle performance like what Bruce Willis does, it really works for a cinematic experience, right? Mm-hmm. If it's done well, um, I love the opening scene of the movie. It's so thematic and Let's- so. Start sure. before the opening scene. With oh, the, okay. The credits. What are you talking about? The credits. The text that comes on screen. Okay. I have a just a minor quibble. You don't the like credits. the the font they use? No, not the font. Just the the stats that that they pull up about comics. Oh, yeah. It's a specific. bit inflated. It's a bit inflated. A little bit clearly, of, it's like a billion in, people where read comic books a year. I'm like, nah, I don't so know. I didn't. I didn't days. like fact check that, but yeah, they said comics range in price from like a dollar to one hundred forty thousand easily. That, but it would seem to be more. Even in 2000, like, say, you know... For an a issue of, Superman number like one? Like an issue of Action Comics number one would be more than $140,000, even in Probably, the year yeah. 2000. Right? Oh, yeah, it certainly. just seemed like, why did they have to mention the price of comics? It just yeah, seemed odd. They're valuable to society. But you can just say that without pulling up specific you numbers. You can say no? they're valuable to society? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you want? You could say... Comics are valuable. Comic books, you know, rain... Oh, I don't know. But why, say, from a dollar to $140,000? It just seems It's interesting because it, it expands all... From it, 50 cents to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Okay, fine. You just don't like the way it's phrased. <laughs> that then, it I guess. stops at that specific number. $140,000. So $140, exactly. That was the most expensive comic book ever sold, ever. Yeah, that's kind of weird. But I bet it wasn't at that point. No, no, certainly. Yeah. I'm sure there is like Superman and shit like that and Detective Comics number one and all for that sure. shit like that went yeah. for like literally a million dollars. Even back in 2000. 
Uh, I remember seeing the first time. I was almost brought me to tears actually as a kid because I was a huge at the time. I still kind of am Spider Man fan. Mm-hmm. Really into Spider Man in the early nineties, and uh, you know, it's Amazing Fantasy, which number fifteen, which is the first appearance of Spider Man ever. Right. That was like the holy grail for me because again, I'm a Marvel guy. Spider Man's my number one favorite superhero of all time. Mm-hmm. When I actually saw a copy of it in a comic book store, mm-hmm. I, I, got, I got really emotional. Mm-hmm. I really did as a kid because, number one, it was the thing that started it all. It started something that I loved so much. Mm-hmm. It was the big bang of all of that. And also, the price on it was so astronomically, especially <laughs> as a kid. You know, the, I mean, it wasn't... Do you remember it, what the price was? I don't remember what the price was, but it wasn't like super, super high. But as a kid, it might as well have been billions of dollars, mm-hmm. right? Like... It wasn't like a like a mint copy. I remember it was like it was a pretty you know tattered kind of torn and faded copy of of Amazing Fantasy fifteen, but it was if it, even if it was just like forty thousand dollars that would have been like fucking billion dollars like sure, uh, yeah. impossible for me to get. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing I could possibly do to ever get this, hmm. you know. And uh, it was interesting. It was Nicholas like a really Cage bought them all. <laughs> sure, that fucker Nicholas Cage, <laughs> and didn't he like. He had them in the backseat of his of his, or his car or in his trunk of his car, and the car got stolen. Fucking idiot! I don't remember that. I think there's like a story, and then he named his kid Kal-El because he's a fucking maniac. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so I love Spider-Man. I love he- heroes that are flawed and have human characteristics that you can really relate to, and that's why I really well, the like Marvel the, heroes. Do. The Marvel characters do, and then, you know, again, as a high school kid, uh, somewhat of a introvert uh, to some degree, you relate to Peter Parker and that he's un- he's got this untapped goodness in him that really can only come out when he is spider-man he's only funny he's only strong he's usually he can only do the things that he wants to do in life he's only has control over his life when he's spider-man when he's peter parker he has no control of his life he gets you know uh, henpicked by aunt may and he has problems dating with mary jane and all the fucking bullies at school picking on him and shit there's a really relatable character there right it's mm-hmm. it's a great um uh, it's a what's it called cathartic experience to see someone achieve what they what the goodness what they the, the potential that they have mm-hmm. right and the same thing in this with David Dunn as as Bruce Willis's character. That's why all these characters have like they've had lasting power. Certainly, yeah, and again, like the movie goes into this kind of mythic. They're like, yeah, sure, comic books have been exaggerated. They've exaggerated this myth, but there's something core the hum- humanity of it. There's a core storytelling technique here that we all identify that goes all the way back into like the Mesopotamian era of hmm. storytelling, you know, and just like the comic journey are of like, characters, like mythology for modern times. That's exactly yeah. what this movie posits. That's exactly yeah. what this movie. He, you know, you've got Elijah Price he's in his office. He's got a fucking huge hieroglyphic tablet behind him. There's exactly, not a mistake. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's not a mistake. Yeah. That's very... The art direction of this movie is spectacular, by the way. Mm-hmm. This very, very... I love, again... The, I like the muted color sure, tone. In, especially in the, the flashbacks and stuff like that. There's very pronounced muted colors, but then very specific colors like purple or red. Yeah, they pop out. They yeah. pop out, right? Because yeah. Elijah Price is associated with the color purple, and David Dunn's character is associated with the color green, which is, again, a great throwback to... You know the way but the printing process of comics. colors in there too, like with Elijah Price, you see like oranges popping up. As sure, well. that yeah. too as well. Um, anyhow, and again, I love the stylization of this movie. Let's get to the first opening scene, which is when Elijah Price is born back in the '60s. His mother's face is reflected in glass, a mirror, right in a mm-hmm. department store dressing room, I think, or something like that. Yeah, I think that's right. Not only does it work on a thematic level for setting up the character. His iconography, mm-hmm. his colors, his he's, he's born in his a origin story. His origin story, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, it's an origin story. It's yeah. great, and he's wrapped in the 
the purple little you know the blanket and it's he's again it's shot in reflection it's a beautiful camera almost in one take i'm pretty sure it's just in one take and it just goes from her face to the reflection and everything and people talking and and the emotions in that scene are just devastating Hmm. just devastating i mean i'm not a parent but can you imagine the the emotional trauma of like your child being your newborn child being in actual pain the reason why they're crying is because their whole body is in incredible agony that you cannot do anything to stop Mm -hmm. wow what an incredible powerful opening to a movie yeah that gets your attention right away and then again another amazing one take kind of scene when we introduce david dunn bruce willis's character in the train he's taking a train ride back from new york to pennsylvania and philadelphia right and it's all done in one take. And there's so much incredible intentionality in the camera work. It shows his face in the window and the weird noises going on, like as like the train's pulling out of the station or whatever yeah. it is. And then him talking to the woman. He's kind of flirting with her. That the shot is goes, interesting, the camera work there, because it pulls out and you're looking between the seats. At absolutely. The two it's this voyeurism right? of yeah. the child or whatever that's looking at him through the seats or I don't whatever. Know, right? I didn't take note of who the cinematographer was, but like it's constantly happening in the film where characters are being framed by things. Mm-hmm. Almost like a comic book frame absolutely right? panel. genius yeah. absolutely it's, it's genius. really really well done yeah and you see the, the the camera tilts down you see him taking the wedding ring off his finger you know everything you need to know about this character almost from the first scene he's despondent he's sort of like just daydreaming kind of looking out he's kind of like sad for some reason he hasn't he's not a very emotionally uh upbeat character he's interested in flirting with this woman and he's maybe his marriage it's is such a pathetic rocks. attempt it's, it's amazing uh, yeah. it's great it's great how he gets shot down i mean I like it. pathetic in, in a like a sad but also like really sweet kind of way sure i guess he's like no no that's not what i meant uh, it's not what i meant when you're when you're done or whatever right but also like there's a great again character building moments where she's like oh i'm a scout for like a football team there's this kid i'm gonna go talk to he's like gonna go pro mm-hmm. and and she's like you know anything about football he's like no nah, i don't i don't care about football mm-hmm. right so again you, you get these little kind of little little, little crumbs about the character yeah, they're setting it you get up to there, know yeah. setting up about the character about what he thinks about certain things that are going to come up later on they're very important to his character um very brief Brilliant, extremely tight screenplay, great cinematography. This movie is a great movie because there's so many great two-hander scenes between Elijah and... Uh, uh, what do you mean by two-hander? Like like a two-person scene, you know, okay. between All David right. Dunn and Elijah, between Samuel Jackson and... It's really like a two-person movie. That you're watching right. the story of two of these characters sort of developing, right? Mm. And how they're paralleling and their lives are crossing into each other. Coupled with, you also have this domestic drama between marriage that's collapsing, literally imploding as you're watching it, like in the most That's true. Like now that I think way. about it, a lot of the scenes are one-on-one. Yeah, very much. Just very quiet. few of the scenes are group scenes. Yeah, so. very quiet, two-hander scenes. Uh, between usually between... And the characters are often put in profile as exactly, well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's what makes the movie engaging because you're looking at characters talking to each other. You're not looking at huge giant set pieces of things blowing up and all kinds of crazy elaborate shit going on mm-hmm. and 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 it's the, a subtle it's a subtle, superhero film <laughs> it's a subtle drama it's a, it's a bedroom drama yeah. you know it's a superhero movie it's a thriller mm-hmm. it's a great twist ending family I think drama a family mm-hmm. drama it's a story about a child losing faith in their father like that's fucking heartbreaking man mm. like 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 it's just devastating you know like the i love the moments where he has with his dad he's like my dad and i we're gonna go work out and that workout scene let me tell you if you ever were to draw comparisons between m night Shyamalan and steven spielberg 
this is the scene that you choose when you want to say that's a real Spielberg scene. Which one? The scene where he's lifting weights with his son. Okay. That scene is literally Spielberg beat for beat. The yeah, com- yeah. the comedy in that scene where like he's like uh, getting further and f- the kid is like shying further and further away <laughs> until he's like in the closet or yeah, like yeah. up the stairs is There's, so hilarious. Yeah, that was a bit much. Cause you think there, so? There's really nothing dangerous about him <laughs> pressing weights. But that's the thing. They don't know what's going to happen, <laughs> what, right? What could happen? You don't know. That's the joke, right? Is that I think is very. It's I got, think he was suggesting that the weights might fall off and and hurt himself, hurt him. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. But. So that's that's why the kid is like he's scared. He's also, I wish scared they had of added, violence. I wish I don't know how they could have, but I wish they had found some way to to make the weight more like just heavier. To make it more super, the sound effects, superhuman. The sound effects sound incredible in that scene. I think they well, really sell that, the weight of those weights, no? Well, they mentioned specifically like how much the weight is. I sure. think it's something like 350 pounds. But you don't think like that, that Bruce Willis's fucking head-popping expression when he's like lifting the weights and the fucking yes, veins but, are exploding out of his forehead? Like that doesn't but sell But 350 pounds isn't beyond the realm of like human capability as far as a bench press goes. You tried that? Have you tried no, benching I'm not saying I could do it. I'm saying people have bench press like <laughs> 500 the pounds. Beauty. That's the beauty though, right? Because no, we're trying to well, base this in reality. Should, but he should... He's supposed to be, but a guy that he's supposed size, to have superhuman powers. But a right? guy that size shouldn't be able to do that. A guy that size with that kind of muscular and build shouldn't be able to lift like that. Like so, maybe a super like Arnold Schwarzenegger type. Yes, I'm just saying we don't know what his strength potential is. Sure, in but that that's scene. the beauty of the scene. <laughs> but that's all the beauty of the scene is that it's still within the realm of possibility and it's still within. Is the it realm. supposed to be though? Because he has superhuman powers. He has the yes. power to. He has clairvoyance like, of sorts. Clairvoyance. Sure. Um, but does he have superhuman strength? He has superhuman endurance, I think. He has superhuman human. There's endurance. a flashback where we see him rip off a car door. Sure, yeah. Right? So yeah. In, maybe in moments of stress, he, mm-hmm. he can exhibit superhuman strength. But just with that weightlifting scene. But again, it's mid, it happens midway through the movie. You're still questioning whether this sure. is possible okay. or not. Fair I enough, think yeah. that's the beauty of the scene. Mm-hmm. And I love the humor of the scene. I love how the scene builds with like put more on. You know, it's like yeah. I put everything on. And then they have the, the paint buckets, you know. It's like <laughs> anything they can throw on, they tape on the, the paint buckets. I think there's that's a really just... So he went down there to work out. Yeah, right? sure. So we assume that he regularly works out. Sure. Right? So mm-hmm. wouldn't he have been right? testing himself with weight? Like, that's what you do when you work out. I guess I don't work out, so I don't know. <laughs> but probably he would probably think that he has a limit, like a psychological limit, that what should be possible. Yeah, and right? if he's working out and, by himself, and if too, you're working out, you're not you're not, not, you're not like I don't know much about working out, like I said. But like you, when you fucking work out, you don't like just put on everything and just do one or two reps. No, you especially do, if you're working you out by yourself, manageable. that's a dangerous thing to sure, do. Sure, you yeah. do whatever's manageable for doing like you know reps. ten reps at a time, yeah, yeah, exactly, and then fucking relaxing and then you know recuperating. Right. So yeah, I mean. You don't fucking max out everything, you know. You don't always pawn, you're not, unless you're going for a weightlifting competition or some shit like that. You're not maxing out all every the time. guy who goes to the gym wants to know like how much. Yo, you bro, you can bench. Hey, bro, <laughs> oh, bro, 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 what you got, bench, bro? I'm, that's again why I don't give a fuck about weightlifting. I don't want anything to do with that fucking culture. I don't want anything to do with that shit. Fuck that shit. Anyhow, um, so those yeah. are minor, minor. 
Okay, but I think I really I think that scene is personally I think that scene is I have like others. beautiful. I think it's like a perfect <laughs> Spielberg. I like it. I love the scene. I of think the it's music. Scene. Let's yeah. talk about the. Fucking I just wish music. they had demonstrated like more strength so we could see. Okay, this guy is like really super strong. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about other problems or did you want to like talk about other? Stuff? No, there are no problems. What are you talking about problems? There are some okay, other what like, problems minor do you issues. Okay, what problems do you have? Okay, having the the fragile the bone condition mm-hmm. that Mr. Glass has, mm-hmm. Samuel Jackson's character, osteogenesis imperfecta or whatever it's called. Perfect. <laughs> sure. Um, Sam Jackson is like over six feet tall. He's probably like six two, six three. Mm-hmm. A character with that condition wouldn't grow to be that. Height. Okay. Yeah. Constantly sure. breaking your bones. Uh, minor quibble. B- okay. Maybe. Minor quibble. Sure. Well. Also, maybe. Maybe, but it's unlikely, right? It's unlikely, but. Very unlikely. Potentially, I mean, he's you He'd know probably be shorter than average. But if you, what if you? But there's like a form of like breaking your bones and being taller. So what if you have like an uh, unbalanced or um, your legs are not like one shorter than the other? Hmm. There's actually a process of breaking your leg and then putting it in traction extending it and somehow? extending it okay. and then letting it heal and then breaking it again, then letting it heal and then breaking it again okay. and pulling it out. So All right, maybe th- okay. that necessarily doesn't mean that he's going to be like a like a dwarf you know it depends you know on how how they break and they reassemble mm. right if he's like in bed then and you know in traction then he'll be okay and the crazy super sophisticated cast or where the fuck they put on him looks pretty intense so oh, yeah yeah the pins and the shit pins and shit yeah. man that scene where he falls down is why so does he have a glass good. cane joke because he's mr glass god damn it <laughs> come on that doesn't fuck make off sense. it's thematic <laughs> jesus christ that it was unnecessary. No, it's great. Maybe like the top of I his. I love the art direction. Okay, maybe I like the head of his dressed. cane could have been glass. I love how. But he's why dressed. on earth would he have a glass cane? He needs support because he's a, a quirky. <laughs> he's a supervillain. They don't need to really make he that much sense. He's, a, he's also a, probably a genius, right? He's a super genius. Yeah. Yeah. So come on. No, I think that's great. I think also I, I the fact like that I love the fucking, fucking really a super eccentric way he's dressed. His haircut obviously is like this weird. I love his a, hair. A, his song. hair is like this kind of like off I love the way he dresses. Asymmetrical afro. And he's got this fucking, first you're thinking, oh, he's like, a, he's like an art collector. He's like a weird kind of artsy fartsy guy, right? Mm. But then when you see him finally, when he turns around and he goes, I know what I am. He looks like fucking Lex Luthor. He's got like, <laughs> like a leather fucking purple jumpsuit and everything and he's he's the fucking supervillain he's always meant to be yeah, yeah. he is fully fully complete and i love that rushed, but we'll get to that we'll get to that okay anyhow um, the sound effects again the fucking scene where mr glass is falling elijah's falling down the stairs absolutely heartbreaking absolutely gripping yep, just brutal sure. if anybody has ever and that's one of the things about you know people compare him to hitchcock and john Chalamet to hitchcock a lot of people like to compare those two great directors as well you know that's a really hitchcockian thing is falling down falling down mm-hmm. is a very elemental core thing that we all can relate to we've all had a dream where we've fallen and like woken up because it's so terrifying yep. right because it's just a human thing. The fear of falling is so innate to human reality that we're afraid of gravity and falling and hurting ourselves. That fucking scene just nails. It's like the most perfect falling down the stairs scene <laughs> of all time. Stairs are just inherently cinematic, and people falling, yeah. going up and down stairs is cinematic, and people falling downstairs even, even more the, so. Even the chase, the tension building up to it. As oh, yeah, like for trying sure. Trying to 
catch up with that guy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you see his, the, the determination in his eyes as he sees the gun in the guy's fucking, uh, you know, tucked in his pants as like he realizes. He jumps like, over the turnstile. Yeah, as he jumps yeah. over the turnstile. Like, there's a, so many great moments. The movie builds so fucking well. Like, it's great. It builds and builds and builds. And then there's so many things that are just like eventually explained and kind of fleshed out. And again, like, there's the great character moments. The scene between him and his wife, uh, Robin Wright, uh, talking and like discussing things over dinner at a bar or whatever. Like, there's so many great human moments where you just uh, you really care about these characters. Yeah, you those know? scenes extract the right amount of emotion. They're they're really well done. Yeah. Whereas something like Batman, I don't give a fuck about anybody in those movies. Really, <laughs> they live and they die. They represent these kind of core values of humanity, but they're not real characters to me. Hmm. You know what I mean? When Gordon dies or when you think Gordon dies, yeah, it's weird and strange. And you're like, oh, shit. Wow, they killed off Gordon. But then he's, oh, he's back. Okay, whatever. I feel completely <laughs> indifferent. You know what I mean? So it's just, it just, it shows so much more. There's so much more emotional weight being placed. And that fucking, the scene where, oh, man. The scene where he finally becomes like a superhero and he comes out of the water and the kids pull him out of the fucking water. And right. it just, that is just so uplifting and beautiful. He does and a rear naked choke. He does a rear naked choke, which you can appreciate. <laughs> it's and not properly put on, but that's okay. Okay, but he's, a, he's just learning, okay? And he's just getting smashed in that fucking wall and it's just that camera angle that's just a one take again from the upper corner. It's almost like a surveillance camera and it's just watching this whole fight struggle play out and the music just swells. You can it's tell so that incredible. that's a, a double on the guy's back. or It looks weird when he bounces him into the wall. Really? Yeah, it almost looks like a dummy almost. No, it's not a dummy. No way. Check it out again. No it just way. looks I don't it's not. No way. But it doesn't look like Bruce Willis. <laughs> I don't know if it's Bruce Willis or not, but whoever the fuck did that those stunts was just awesome because I love that like you know, again he smashes you can see the indentations in the wall and he's just like throwing him into the fucking wall and he's just like just elbowing him right in the chest, you know, double <laughs> and it's just like, man, this fucking movie is awesome. Well, like, those, those kids should have called the cops too before they, pulling him out of the <laughs> What? Cool. No, the guy's drowning. You gotta <laughs> fucking save. And that's again, that's another thing that makes the movie beautiful in that scene where they save the superhero. The yeah, yeah, children, that's good. The yeah. children save the superhero. But why did you tell him like when he when he let them loose, like, hey, go call the cops? <laughs> Maybe he did. Okay, it's in a deleted scene. All right. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Like, like he just, just wanted the kids to be quiet and not fucking like make a noise sure. and shit, so okay. they get fucking killed by the serial killer or whatever the home invasion guy, being a vigilante. the man in the the orange, right? <laughs> so exactly, and I just love it. I love the cape that he has. It's a fucking rain slicker which protects him from his. From his from the water, from the his, water weakness, his weakness, and also is a cape, and also it's is green. just water is just so cinematic. <laughs> rain is just so cinematic. There's so many things here that just work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like rain and water being drowned, being falling down. All these things work as dramatic cinematic ways of getting people's emotional involvement, mm -hmm. and they just work so well. It just works so so well. Um, and it's so beautiful. The kids pull him out of the water. He becomes a superhero. He goes and he fucking, fucking stops that guy. And it's bittersweet because he, he's, he can't save everybody. There's two other people that are dead in the, in the house. The parents are dead. Right. He couldn't save them. Yeah. So it's bittersweet. It's not like he's the fucking superhero that saves everything and makes everything perfect. It's so good. And that look on his kid's face when he passes the newspaper to him. That was a nice his, scene, yeah. And the look on his face, and he's like, yeah, no dialogue. you're right, you're yeah. right. Or he just whispers it or mouths it to his kid. And the yeah, fucking... He just nods his head. No, I think he says you're right. He's, no. Mm, I think no. he does. Watch it again. Okay, I will. <laughs> the acknowledgement, anyhow. He pushes it over. The kid looks at the headline, mm -hmm. 
and then looks up at him and he just nods his head. Oh, okay. Maybe he just yeah. nods his head. Okay. But you know exactly what's going on, that information that's going on between them, the, the acknowledgement yeah. and the belief that, yeah, I was right about my dad. I believe in my dad. And there's all these like little jokes like, you know, he's in the detention and the other kid goes to him and goes, I bet my dad could beat up your dad. Like, I love these little <laughs> kind of jokes and stuff they have in there. The humor is well earned. It's not corny. It's not stupid. The lines are just super tight and, and the dialogue and, and, and everything, how that plays uh, out in everything and everything, how it's dolled out okay. in the screenplay These is are fantastic. all good things about the film. I do yes. like this movie a lot. Let's talk about a couple more bad things. Bad things? Uh, yeah, there's all a, right. Okay, we know Sh- Shyamalan, Shyamalan likes to insert Shyamalan. Yeah. Shyamalan. 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 I believe it's Shyamalan. <laughs> Shyamalan. Yeah. <laughs> likes to insert himself okay. in yeah. his movies. This, it we have really doesn't on. work here. This we can totally agree on. He does not look like a drug dealer, first of all. Well, how do you, what do you know what a drug dealer looks like? He, come on. <laughs> Maybe it's he like looks something like, like prescription accountant. drugs or something. You don't. It's not like hard cocaine. At a, at a like college football stadium? Yeah, they need that shit. They need fucking Adderall and all that fucking shit to like, stay up. He doesn't come off as... No, it's weird. But at least <laughs> at least it's the one of the most non-invasive roles he's ever inserted himself into the movie. In all of his other movies, he is like the crux of the plot or the <laughs> theme of the film where he just elucidates the entire concept of the movie <laughs> and everything waits on his like role reveal. Well, he right? isn't it like the first instance where um David Dunn is like kind of feeling his power for yeah. like you know, picking people out like bad right. people? Intentionally, yeah. It's kind of the first time we see yeah, it, right? Intentionally, so, yeah. It is kind of important. It's a, it's a moment, sure, yeah. But it's not like the crux of the whole no, fucking no, no. movie, right? The crux of the whole movie it, is... It would just be better if he didn't put himself into the film because it's, it pulls me out of the movie. Oh, certainly, yeah. yeah. And he's a terrible actor. He's an awful actor. He's awful. <laughs> <laughs> but he's done this all the time. Like, I mean, he, he's funny. He watches, like, student films and stuff. He's always put himself in his own movies <laughs> and stuff, too. It's true. It's like, you know... It's his thing. But, uh, yeah, it, the thing about Hitchcock is that he got rid of those, or he did those, he got them over and done with. He always put himself in his movies, but as, like, a really quick cameo, and they were always, like, especially in the later p- films of his career, he put them really early so people could get rid of that, you know, waiting for that to happen, mm. and just focus on the movie, you know? Right, right. Um, sure, another thing, another gripe. Yeah, another one? Sure. The aging on uh, Elijah's mom is pretty bad. Like, oh, she looks younger than Sammy Jackson. Black don't crack, man. Black don't crack. She looks Come a lot on. like. <laughs> what? It doesn't look like she's aged at all. Really, she's I think got they add a bit hair. of they add a bit of gray to her hair, but she looks, she still looks like a young, beautiful woman. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I love when she, I just again the screenwriting of that is like when she's she's like talking to him. She's like, you know, the supervillain. You always know that he's a supervillain because his eyes are larger than life and there's two kinds of supervillains there's one that matches them on his, his, in his like physicality and mm. one that matches them with their mind and this is such a, you're just you're just about to fucking be spoon like you're just being you're just being led down that path you just you're just getting into that bath you know just like mm. one toe at a time you know and just oh it's so good it just <laughs> brings you into that big fucking reveal I think it's a great reveal. It's such a beautiful completion of the film, the duality of these two characters. The end Pe- of the movie? People really griped that's, that's about... That's another problem. That's probably okay. my biggest problem with the movie. Really? It just okay. feels rushed. Like, it's like all of a sudden it ends. That's it. Yeah, but that's great. Uh, no. Because it leads you to I don't a know sequel. What, I don't know what it's I... It's the first issue, man. Yeah, I don't know what I needed there, but it just seemed really rushed and fast. No, man, it's great. It's got that real comic booky thing where it's like... 
Yes, and he was arrested and sent to the, pres- the, the insane asylum for the mentally insane or whatever it was, right? The criminally insane. That's the, always what they say, the criminally insane. There's no <laughs> fucking institution for the criminally insane. That's not a real place. Not anymore, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> not since, like, the 1920s or something. You know, like, the, I love that dialogue, that, like, that, that pulpy, you know, he, he alerted authorities to three acts of terrorism and was sent to, you know, the, the asylum for the criminally insane. I love that. It's so I, I don't think that was necessary. It leads you again to which they have done now is to sequels of this yeah. fucking franchise. I don't, I don't think they needed the end text there because we knew everything that it said basically well i think it, emotionally <laughs> i think emotionally it's very gripping it's a completion of the both of both characters arcs it's it's so it ties the movie up so well in a way that twist endings really don't usually twist endings unravel the movie yeah, and maybe they, you know, maybe, I mean, like oh, it was all a dream. Maybe you this know? is something I would change my mind on because, mm. yeah, it was done. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what what else they could have put in there, but it just seemed rushed for some reason. I think it's like one of the best ways to tie up the yeah, movie because what, tie what, up the characters. what am I looking for? Like the police yeah. coming to arrest him or something? That's, I don't know. That would be like, like, that's yeah. overkill. Like, yeah, I, thought, just, yeah. Just, just I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but the ending is just... Maybe just wanted more of a great movie. That's what you needed. <laughs> <laughs> what you're going to get from M. Night Shyamalan with the fucking Glass movie and uh, I hope you know, that's Split. Good. I'm going to watch it because I, like, I liked Split. I enjoyed it. I just watched it this afternoon for the first time, and I did enjoy it. There was some weird, wonky things about it, which, again, like in retrospect, knowing the whole way it ties into the universe, there's some really, really clunky dialogue about stuff like, this person is shattered, almost like glass. <laughs> and they're like, these people are superheroes in your mind, right? Or they're like, they're throwing, like, clearly M. Night is like, oh, okay, I'm going to throw in the, that breadcrumb at this point, and another breadcrumb here. So when you watch the whole fucking three movies, then all one big... George Lucas cohesive bullshit, you know, trilogy. Yeah, the writing isn't as smart. Yeah. Sometimes, like, with with Shyamalan, I'm like, is he, like, a smart guy? Or... He's a smart guy. 100%. Yeah. Oh, he's a smart guy. But Terrible then, actor. Yeah. Smart guy. But then you watch some of his movies, and it's like, I think, how could he be? Mm, well, I think that he gets sometimes really bad performances, and he, maybe it's just the nature of Not just, just filming. Not just performances, but awful, awfully written films, like terrible I, I think a lot of the dialogue is the, the is the actor's fault in a lot of the, the really? happening yeah like fucking Mark the Wahlberg your favorite, your favorite actor of all time Mark <laughs> I haven't Wahlberg. even watched that neither have I but I've I seen can't. some pretty bad fucking line readings in that movie like <laughs> no no uh, you know what like, what no <laughs> like well, I don't care what context this scene is in this is fucking <laughs> terrible um, but anyhow I mean I think he yeah, yeah sorry I, I didn't mean to like insinuate that he's a dumb guy. I know he's, I don't he's think not. He's, no. I know he's an intelligent. He's person, very intelligent guy. He knows what. I he's, just wonder what's going on sometimes. When I think maybe he's, he's just an egomaniac, like a lot of other directors are. He gets high on his own shit, on his own horse, like you know, he thinks he's invincible, and then he gets stupid. You know, like hmm. any smart person can. Hmm. And you know, when he's hungry and he wants to make something really great, he can. But For if sure. he gets he's a talented if he, director and he's made really good films. Yeah. So again, a bit of a checkered career, but I think. You know, I mean, so is Spielberg too. Really, when you look at it too, overall, like there's some real, some real dogs like uh, in Spielberg's career. So I don't know. Uh, I'd be interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to Glass. I really you, think um, Unbreakable is a fantastic movie. It's it's a very good film. You, you is it a replacement for The Dark Knight? I like it better than The Dark Knight. I yeah. certainly do. I do. I I thought you know when you first mentioned doing these films, I thought for sure I was going to like The Dark Knight more still. Mm-hmm. Um, because I did like The Dark Knight when I first watched it in theaters, but I didn't really think about it critically, I guess. Um, and then it's fun. Watching them, I mean, it's a yeah. fun 
And There's I do, so I much love, thrilling action. I love Heath Ledger's performance. I, I like, um, uh, what's his name, Aaron Eckert's performance. Hmm. Uh, I think um, a lot of the reaction was that people really, really thought that Heath Ledger was a shitty actor. They really didn't give him enough credit. Right, was, they were was Brokeback. Brokeback Mountain had come out. Sure, before yeah, it had come. That, right? Of course, yes, yeah. of course. I think he had done, but overall, he had done some like like pretty questionable, terrible movies. I think, yeah, I like think A Knight's Tale. Um, you know what? I haven't seen that, but people have told me that they find it to be a very entertaining movie. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. But I think I think people underestimated him, maybe, or just were like naysayers of Heath Ledger. Hmm. I think well, that's certainly for me. Anyhow, I mean that's all I can really speak to. But, and I think people by by the end of that movie really were taken aback by how incredibly unique and terrifying Heath Ledger's character as the Joker really was. A fresh take, truly a fresh take on a pretty well established character. And right? he went out on that note. <laughs> well, he didn't nest. Well, I mean, well, he, he died. Doctor Parnassus was oh, actually his final film that he actually garbage. died. I think that Dr. Parnassus was a flawed disaster of sorts, but also a beautiful flawed disaster. Uh, I think it was interesting it's how vomit. they... It's vomit. It's uh, vomit on screen. Technic, technicolor You just don't vomit. like the CGI parts, I think, is the... It was shot in technicolor. <laughs> <laughs> Two-strip or three-strip technicolor? I, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Um, but I think Heath Ledger has some really terrifying moments, not even the points where he's like... With the knife and like, you know, I got these scars, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's really great too. But yeah. really, a, that one moment when he's like recording the imposter Batman being uh, kidnapped, and he's like telling, right. he's like, look at me, yeah. look at me, look at me, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, that's fucking scary as shit because like, that's his real mental state. Yeah, you know, you really get the disturbed mind that's really behind it. You know, with that, with those kind of like little flourishes of anger and in, and intensity. You know, mm-hmm. so that's you were, I, um, very subtle. You were speaking mm-hmm. about the, there not being a theme, like a character theme, as far as the soundtrack goes mm-hmm. in the Dark Knight. Right? Do we really have one in in Unbreakable? Oh, I think it's unbelievably beautiful. It's a lovely. I love it. I love the. It's the score. melodic and I love uplifting. The score in that, but. Do we have like memorable? No, it's, it's the same kind of deal, right? Sure, it, it's yeah. James Newton Howard who also worked on the Dark Knight with uh, with Zimmer. Uh, with Zimmer, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. So okay. there is sort of that together, but I think it's a way better score than the Batman score. But I, that's I just think me. so too. It's so uplifting. I and like so it a beautiful. lot, and yeah, it doesn't and bother me. That, it doesn't bother me that we don't have particular themes for a character. It bothers me, and again, the reason why I let that slide is because of the human drama and the realism to it. That's mm-hmm. the reason why I let that slide because we're not in that world of like spider-man why, and do, you, why Batman. do you need the same because we're, format in we, every film we're talking about icons we're talking about like visual icons in and like we're talking about hard visual like, icons yeah like yes. like comic book characters so the like, the music must match the visual icons well of outside those of characters. comic book characters any film you know becomes visual iconic you know if it if it has that status you know like you know the shining is has iconic imagery right it doesn't sure. have to be a, a comic book film Sure, but it, you're dealing with a certain, I don't know, it's like the S on Superman's chest, or the the fucking, it's like, it's the the bat on Batman's chest. You, like, you think a superhero really movie needs, visuals. Uh, like, a like, character themes. I think so, man, because like, it just, it just has to, 
it just has to tie into that character. It has to be part of the package as a cinematic experience. I just, I don't know, man. I, just, I feel like it might have pulled you out nostalgic. of the movie. Like, especially for Unbreakable, it might have pulled you out a little bit. No, for Unbreakable, that's what I'm saying. It works, though, because yeah. it would have pulled me out of it. Oh, because that's what it I asked too you. Much. Like, no, but I'm saying, you. not in this case, but I'm saying in the Batman movie. In a Batman film. Okay. Yeah, because Batman is such a cultural icon. Hmm. Nobody knows who the fuck David Dunn is. Or yeah, that, the, These are all made-up characters that are made for the movie. The They're Dark Knight is a, is a big movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does. So, need that kind of treatment i it, think i just the, it just doesn't right. work that way you know like it, didn't, it didn't bother me but i think i have to agree i think you're right yeah. <laughs> all right i'm glad i'm glad you finally agree with me on something <laughs> anyhow so yeah any final words either i guess alan on anything no no i think we touched on everything that that i had made notes about okay um so yeah let's uh let's wrap her up so we Joe. agree we agree that the dark knight is overrated uh yes and that it's a, Unbreakable is a better film than Replacement. That I would in. rather watch Unbreakable than The Dark Knight. All I right. think. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right. Rock and roll. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to us. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you again soon for our Christmas episode. Yes. Which will be our 50th episode. Whoa, overall. double whammy. Double whammy. Yes. Yeah, so it should be coming out soon. Yep. Next week, I guess December 25th, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> Have it under your podcast tree. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks for listening, folks, again. Bye. Thank you.